I say, I guess, uh, good evening to you. It is, and midday, so uh, I guess almost good afternoon to you. Yeah, anything yeah. exciting happened during the day that we missed that we haven't seen yet? Not, too, not that I'm aware of, not that I'm aware okay, of. <laughs> yeah, we asked Kitty if our government was still intact when we talked to her. <laughs> Might be the same situation this time. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah, I think we're doing okay. Uh, how's my audio? I can chuck my um, podcast mics in if you guys want. No, you sound good. Yeah? Okay, sweet. All right, so we're among the stones here with uh, Dan Strauss. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Um, <laughs> where to start? Uh, I guess I would say mainly that I am a grappler is what I kind of identify myself as mainly. And I have a, uh, an interest or a penchant anyway for, uh, for strength training as well. Strength training that I got into through grappling. I've been grappling for about 15, 16 years now. Um, so I got into strength training to kind of complement that. And then that's continuing what I do to, to this day. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to compete in uh, lots of tournaments and teach jiu-jitsu all, all over the world. So, uh, so yeah, not too bad. Awesome. Hey, so I'm Frank, and this is my brother, Adam. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Okay, so I'm going to start out with a tough question coming from myself because yeah. I've been in martial arts for a long time. Are you familiar with uh, uh, what makes the boat go faster and that whole story and concept? No. Nope. Okay, so it's basically about an average guy that's trying to become an Olympian and decide okay. the best way he can do it is on the rowing team. And essentially, he develops a lifestyle where every single thing he does, he asks himself, will this make the boat go faster? Mm. So for me, my core principle and why I train is, will this help me protect what I have? Will mm. this help me protect my family? All my training is basically core self-defense training. So that's primarily what I focus on with my martial arts training and my strength training and how that transfers into martial arts. I think about, will this help me in a manner that in a life or death situation, I can get out of a little bit better. Mm. So I ask you, what is the core question you ask yourself when you train? What drives you? What is it that you think about with everything you do improving? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And for me, you know, the, the, the boat in, in, in my regard is definitely grappling and, and uh, sort of specifically no gi jiu-jitsu. Uh, I think for me, you know, there's always that, 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 that journey, that sort of intrinsic journey for a martial artist about sort of self-discovery and self-understanding and kind of trying to understand who you are and what you can do. And then sort of the extrinsic side of the martial arts journey as well. And for lots of different people, that's for different reasons. Some is for self-defense like yourself, others is for glory and money and fame. Um, I think that the, the biggest motivator for me through the grappling is to try and increase the popularity and the awareness of grappling. It's something that I love and it's something that I think is maybe bias, but I think it's the greatest thing in the world. And I want more people to understand it and I want more people to try it and I want it to become more popular. And I see the benefits that it has for adults, for kids, for women, for, for everyone and uh, what it can bring to other people's lives. So I guess my overall life mission um, is to try and um, expose more people to the beautiful art of grappling. Okay, great. And we got one fan question that came in. Okay. Just uh, how did your grip training transfer into your grappling and how do you feel that, that has benefited your grappling? 
Yeah, you, you know, it's definitely, uh, I think it's no surprise that, that, that having a strong grip will translate over to your grappling. You know, people ask, will having a strong grip make me better at jujitsu? That's not the case. And, 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 and the reason for that is <clears throat> you need to define what better is. And, and a lot of people define better as their performance will be higher. They, they kind of miss out all of the nuances and they just say, they, they equate their, their, their level as their performance, be it in competition, be it in the gym, on the mats, against other people in the class. And I really break it down into two things that add up to the performance. So you have sort of your technical skill and then your skill alone does not equal a bef good performance. It's your skill and your physicality combined that will make uh, your performance. So you can have someone who is very, very highly skilled, but if you, you know, put the brain of Roger Gracie inside the body of a five-year-old child, I reckon I could beat him up. So just having the skill alone is not enough. You need to have the physicality as well. And then you see some people with very high physicality who might not be the most skillful, the most technical or knowledgeable grapplers, but they can really get by a much higher level. Their performance is a much higher level of their skill. So to answer that question in a roundabout way, having stronger grip will not improve your skill, but it will improve your physicality. So it will equate to an increase in performance. You need to make sure that where you're, um, you need to make sure that where you're swinging the axe is at the right place to chop down the tree. So it, 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 it's a tool, it's a sharper axe is the way that I look at it, is having the strength be that body strength, be that grip strength or any sort of physicality. It is the uh, sharpening of an axe, but if you um, hit the wrong part of the tree, you're still not going to be able to chop it down. So you still need the skill and the knowledge and the technique to go with that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what got you into grappling and what motivates you to compete? So I got into grappling sort of uh, in my mid-teens and I was just really interested. I was never someone who did any sports really um, as a kid, uh, definitely didn't compete in any sports at any decent level. And I didn't really do any martial arts as a young kid. And when I got into sort of my early teens, I was really interested. I think there's that natural thing when you start to get some testosterone in your body that men, and I'm sure some women, but especially men, that sort of instinctive desire to fight a little bit and to, to, to sort of aim that, that, that growing physicality and that growing aggression from a sort of the huge testosterone, essentially a massive steroid cycle that you, every man goes on when they hit puberty, you want to sort of direct it somewhere. So I got really interested in martial arts and started trying out different martial arts and uh, stuck around a couple of weeks here and a few months here, but nothing really jumped out and grabbed me. And then I sort of stumbled into a traditional jiu-jitsu gym and again, another martial art very similar to the ones that I've been doing didn't really grab me. But then one of the instructors at this traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu uh, gym, he had already started Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He'd already started grappling and he'd sort of roll in the corner with one of the other guys whilst everyone else did the, the Japanese jiu-jitsu, the traditional stuff that, that isn't so much fun. Um, and I was always really interested. I'm like, what's that guy doing over there? And someone said, oh, don't, don't worry about him. That's the advanced stuff, the really advanced stuff. And I thought one day I want to be rolling around on the floor doing whatever this guy's doing. And then one day about maybe four or five months after I started trading at this gym, 
the main instructor, or the, the second main instructor who was still doing Japanese jiu-jitsu, he left. And the guy who was rolling on the floor took over and he started teaching us some grappling. At first, it was sort of hybrid. We do a bit of grappling and a bit of Japanese jiu-jitsu and some stick and knife and all of this stuff. And then one day he said, we're just going to go pure BJJ. And sort of, I was very lucky that jiu-jitsu sort of found me in that respect. I didn't know what Brazilian jiu-jitsu was. I didn't know anything about grappling before I started it. Um, but as soon as I kind of had my first taste of it, I fell in love. Awesome. So um, tell me what you go through to get psyched up for like a really big bend, like a PR bend. What's that experience like? Okay, so, you know, bending something that, um, you know, I got into, I've kind of got in and out of different things. Bending was something that I got into quite a few years ago now. And I sort of, I think it's important to set sort of small goals along with your bigger goals. So from a physicality, you know, from a physical training point of view, my goal is to, be stronger for the sport that I do. So be stronger for grappling. And um, it's a very ambiguous goal. It's a very unmeasurable goal. So it's a very, very hard goal to, you know, just, I want to be strong for grappling for the next 30, 40 years. Very, very hard thing to do. So um, I like to break it down into sort of smaller goals and make them fun. And sort of one thing that I thought is if I can bend a red nail, I can, uh, then I'm going to have pretty strong wrists and having strong wrists is good for jiu-jitsu. So I set out this goal of, of, of bending the red nail and that sort of led me down the path of doing still bending for a little while. So um, in terms of what it's like psyching myself up to actually do something, it's quite similar. There's a, it's a really interesting um, difference between doing stuff like uh, when I bent the red nail, when I did the the sort of certification in front of people with judges, not just in the gym. And when I did stuff like the Dinny Stones, something that you really set your mind to and you go for a, a sort of a, an achievement like that. When I'm used to competing in grappling, it's very, very different because in grappling, you can be on point, you can be, um, you know, you can do everything right and you can still lose because there's another person that is able to affect the outcome of what happens whereas with the dinny stones or big squat or a big deadlift or bending a red nail it's all down to you so it's a very very different mentality going into that where you only have to believe in yourself you don't have to worry about any sort of outside influences apart from the item or piece of steel or whatever it is that you're going to be attacking so you know psyching yourself up for that definitely a lot easier because um for that reason i think definitely found it easier to to to, to get into the mindset and i then, then i found it easier than i would have had i not had years of experience doing grappling which is sort of definitely you know fighting any pugilistic art where you're competing against someone else any sport where you're competing against an individual obviously there's different levels of competition you have direct competition indirect competition and then you have fighting which is as direct competition as you can get you know of course if you're running a race you may be competing next to someone but nothing that person next to you is going to do there's nothing that they can do that will affect the outcome of what you do although you may win or lose anyway uh and then you have obviously grappling which is you, you have a plan and your opponent's not only going to try and stop that plan he's going to physically try and stop that plan he's going to try and manipulate you so after getting used to that not being too worried that the piece of steel is going to bend back it's not too hard to psych yourself up uh just kind of uh get some good music going and kind of go for it and have some fun
Awesome, awesome. Speaking of goals, since you're talking a lot about them, what is one of your uh, current goals right now athletically? Yeah, so I, I, I like to have um, a few different things on the go at the same time, sort of like your bigger goals and the smaller goals. Physically, the biggest goal or well, my big long-term goal at the moment is to do the Husserfeld stone. So to, to lift the Husserfeld stone and do the walk as well, the 50 meters around the pen. Um, but when I say long-term, I'm you know, that could be, I reckon, two or three years down the line. You know, there's some other things I want to do. And, and, and at the same time, I do need to pull myself, reel myself in sometimes and remind myself, you know, I'm not a professional stone lifter. I'm a professional grappler. Yeah. You know, I don't want to train full time to go and lift a stone. That should just be done something that, that sort of my strength builds up naturally to a point where I'm kind of ready and then I can maybe push for two or three months and really make sure that I'm I'm in the best shape to do that. Uh, so that's all of my long-term physical goal at the moment is to lift the Husserfeld stones. I think it's, um, you know, I've done most of the stones and I've done all of the, I want to say like more popular stones in, in Scotland, which is much closer, obviously. And then there's uh, obviously loads of stones in other places around the world that I want to travel to, but really apart from like the Dinny and the Inva, the biggest stone in the world is definitely the Husserfell. So that's the main goal for me. Uh, on a smaller scale, the lifts, I'm, so at the same time as having like a big goal, like doing the Dinny stones or something, I'll also have smaller gym goals. So a recent gym goal of mine that I had this time last year was to uh, do a 200 kilos, so that'd be 440 pound sandbag squat. Um, that was my goal for a while because I was doing loads of sandbag squat and I managed to do that summer of last year so now sort of my gym goals are focused more around um an exercise that i've done for a long time but i really want to push which is the turkish get up i want to get quite heavy on that and see how far i can push that and then um also something that i've only been working recently but i'm really interested in and really trying to improve because i feel like i'm rubbish at it which is the bent press so i want i have like a i just got a new 64 kilos so i'm not sure that'd be in pounds it'd be like maybe 140 pounds, yeah, 140 pounds, something like that. Um, uh, I want to bent press that, that, that dumbbell. Um, and uh, yeah, do a Turkish girl with that dumbbell should come first. So those are like some of the short term goals that I want to try and achieve in the next, you know, maybe the Turkish girl up in the next couple of months and maybe the bent press in the next six months or so. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I definitely want to get to Scotland myself and with some stones because we have a big rock garden outside that we uh, play with all the time. So, oh like man, you should, you should definitely do it. Um, I think. Uh, have, have you done much uh, historic stone lifting? We've no. done the Timberline Stone. That's our only local stone we have here in the Northwest. Yeah, no, we did that one. Like uh, get, getting out, and I think um, you know I haven't. Technically, Scotland is a different country to England. Yeah. Uh, even even though obviously we're part of the United Kingdom and we sh you know have a border, uh, but it doesn't count as going abroad. I think go actually traveling to another country, on a, there's something beautiful about you know it was it was really nice even when I did it and it was relatively very close, but there's sort of this aspect of a pilgrimage of strength you know, really a proper journey of flying to another country, yeah. being in a completely different place across the, you know, the other side of the globe uh, in order to undertake a challenge like that is uh, something that is really, really cool. And I, I definitely recommend you guys to get out to Scotland and um, go, 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 go and visit all of the stones. 
if you do ever do that do feel free to hit me up and i can sort of point you in the sort of right direction for that as well because i've done i've done quite a few of them now definitely we will uh so what do you consider one of your greatest athletic achievements um probably you know it, it's hard to tell really i think there's stuff that other people might find more impressive for me really doing the dinny stones was a big thing for me obviously it is like a a, a world a well-regarded worldwide well-regarded feat of strength the dinny stones meant a lot more for me than just lifting them like it does for a lot of people because I suffered a really bad back injury coming up nine years ago now and not only did i think i'd never be able to sort of pick anything heavy up ever i saw you know whilst i was still suffering with this back injury and i'm still you know it's still there in the background but i'm just very functional with it at the moment but i remember the couple of years after i did my back injury i sort of first came aware of dinny stones and historic stones in general and i thought you know what a cool thing that is and i will never be able to do that and that's just what the, you know that's what i told myself you know no questions asked this is going to be something that i have no chance in doing because my back's really messed up and then you know long story short it came around to when i started to realize that maybe i could actually maybe i had a shot at doing this so of course when it came up to the day and i did finally manage to do it that was you know that was a significant achievement for me not necessarily only because of what it was but what it meant for me as far as coming from a place where I didn't think that I'd ever be able to do it, you know. So again, goes back to sort of that uh, that that intrinsic journey and that journey within myself to find and, and, and actually realize that I could do something that I wrote off myself from being able to do. So for now, that would definitely have to be the biggest one. And then I think if I ever make it to Husserfeld, um and I and I manage to do full Sturker and carry around the pen, I think that would definitely be uh, the biggest physical, you know, in terms of physical accomplishment that I've ever done. I think the other one will still be better for you because just that story of overcoming and coming back and realizing you can get past that back injury is just awesome. Yeah, I think even though the Husserfeld is definitely a much harder challenge um, and I definitely consider it a a much bigger feat, um, I think the 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 Dinny Stones was, obviously it was, it was a gradual journey where I started to think, well, maybe I can do this. And then like, I actually do think I can do this. And then to obviously go there and prove that I could. Um, I think the Denny Stones will always be a significant point of my life, a turning point where I discovered that actually I could do what I thought I couldn't do. So even when when I kind of uh, usurp that in terms of the physical achievement, it will still be a very meaningful point for sure. Absolutely. That gets me actually into my next question that uh, you were talking about. What is your greatest blunder and or injury? So it sounded like your back injury for sure, but you have any good bloopers to go along with that or anything? um no man my back injury was a really boring one um it's kind of one of those things that probably happened over a really long time and then uh, you, you know but it was it's it was dramatic you know when i was I, I hurt my back and then over the course of the next year i saw a lot of people and some said oh it's gonna be fine and some said blah blah blah, blah. and eventually i had a, a cat scan on my back because i did an mri and they saw a few bulging discs and stuff like that but nothing big and then i had a cat scan and I have like a crack in my vertebrae. So imagine that my spine's like yeah. that. I've got like a gap through one of them. And it looks really gnarly on the scan. Oh, wow. Um, and that will never heal because basically what they reckon is, I hurt my back when I was about 15 throwing a kick. 
um, and they think that I broke my spine, like one of my vertebrae on both sides. And because I was still young enough, they fused back together because uh, my the, the growth plates were still uh, mobile enough or uh, plastic enough that they fused back together, but they didn't fuse quite right. And then when I was lifting, um, either it broke and my disc went or it, it broke beforehand, but it caused tightness that made my disc go. But whatever it was, it was sort of a, 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 a really annoying injury. You know, it still limits me to a certain degree, but compared to how I was um, five years ago, even less than that maybe, um, it, it, it's completely different. So I really learned a lot about the human body and about my body in particular and how a lot of the things that people think will hurt your back, you know, the back is sort of, the lower back is one of the most interesting parts of the human anatomy in terms of it's like the one thing that everyone that goes on everyone it's the one thing that people are worried about you know like we have bad knees and sort of everyone's knees kind of go at some point and stuff like that but the lower back is sort of this almost mystical enemy of humans that everyone does their lower back or they get old and their lower back starts hurting and don't do that you'll hurt your lower back and that's really bad you know don't you know lift with your legs not with your back and don't lift this up watch your lower back and all of these things and i think they there's it's so ingrained into our culture into our society that people you see the lower back as sort of this demonic monster that you never want to upset and you know something that a lot of people i still get now and i know lots of especially strong men and people who do these unorthodox types of training they say Oh, he's going to fuck his back up. He's going to mess his back up here. I'm not sure if I can swear on your shows. Keeping it peaceful. No, no worries. <laughs> uh, but that you're going to mess your back up doing this or that. And like lifting stones and lifting sandbags is definitely one of those things that even I, I believe, you know, this is, if you've got a bad back, you can't be doing stuff like that. And then funnily enough, it was training for the dinnies. And then the, the, the really started to where my back started to really get stronger. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then after it did, I started to train more in sandbags and it got even stronger and even more resilient and even more healthy. So it's so crazy that this thing that people sort of are terrified of this lifting heavy things off the ground with a, almost like a bit of a rounded back. They think you're going to die straight away instantly <laughs> and actually it's 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 helped my back recover yeah. more than any of the things that the physios and the osteos ever told me to do so um yeah definitely learned a lot of interesting things about backs but that uh, was that, that that was kind of an injury that i've had for a long time i had shoulder surgery but by comparison you know bad for a year had surgery within a year it was pretty good again you know, no complaints. So the back injury, even though it wasn't as bad at the time, I didn't have an, any major surgery on it. Uh, it's something that I'll, I'll probably be living with for the rest of my life in some capacity. Understand that, unfortunately, way too well this last month. I've been out of the gym for a month because of my back injury. So, yeah, I am not, you know, it's not fun. So, but I'm looking forward to coming back stronger and working it. So, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it's nothing serious and, uh, and you're better. To, to move on from that yeah, I thought it was a lot of sciatic pain but I might have a bulging disc close to my tailbone so we'll see but fingers crossed for you man yeah thank you <laughs> yeah it's interesting about the back the um the smallest world's strongest man Yoko Ahola uh I don't know if you've looked up into much of his lower back or his lower back training he had one of the strongest lower backs of just mm. about anybody's ever walked it's 
amazing how much he focused on that. And at 275, he won against guys that were 350 pounds. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's huge what that can do. Mm. So um, back to bending a little bit. Um, have you ever gotten nervous or anxious before a bend that maybe you failed before? And what kind of self-talk or internal dialogue do you use to try to get past whatever, you know, adversity you're facing when you're going after that mentally? Yeah, I think um, I've never really been, I've never been too um, nervous or anxious about going for a bend. I'd probably say the most nervous I ever was was when I did the Red Nail because I had an audience, you know, I had people there who um, who were watching me and there was a lot of pressure on me. It was only me doing it. And to be honest, most of the people that were there because it was at uh, Pullums, it's like a sports sports store in um, the UK. Okay. And I went to their headquarters to do it. And half the people there had no clue what was going on. Some random guy had just shown up to bend a nail. Like a lot of people were confused. <laughs> I kind of had to, had to do it. So I was definitely nervous, but I definitely find that I um, step up my game under sort of the pressure. Some people crumble, some people sharpen up. And, uh, you know, my, 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 my nail bend when I actually did it on the day was by far the fastest that I ever bent a red nail in training. Um, even when I was, you know, first starting out and doing double wraps on the reds and stuff like that. So um, I definitely, the, the pressure helped there. I think in terms of other times when you're in the gym, you know, when you're, you're getting nervous about doing a big bend on a big piece of steel, I think that if, and, and it's the same for all big lifts, you know, when you're trying to hit something big or PB on something, if you're not feeling awesome about it, maybe don't do it. You know, there are days where I thought about doing something and for whatever reason that day, just not the day. And I think when you've been training for a very long time, you get a lot more attuned to your body and attuned to your mind. And you're able to say, it's just training. I'm just trying to hit a PB. I'm just trying to do a lift. I'm just trying to bend a piece of steel. If I do this next week or if I do this in three days time, it's not going to be a big deal. So that's sort of one of the advantages that you get again in training that you don't get when you're bending the red nail in front of someone or when you're lifting the Denny stones or when you're stepping in the competition, you don't get the opportunity to go, ah, maybe today's not the day I'll try and do it the next day. But definitely if you do want to do something or if you are, if like today's the day, but maybe I need to give myself a little bit extra. I definitely think that visualization is something that is really effective, really useful, um, even in, it's very useful in martial arts for sure, but I actually think it's really useful in uh, lifting. It's something that I've done for many, many years now, as long as I can remember, which is before I really go and do something very heavy, um, I'll close my eyes and I'll visualize myself doing something a thousand times heavier and doing it really easily. You know, let's say I'm going for a big back squat. Maybe I'll visualize myself squatting a car, you know, or I'm going to do a bench press and I'll visualize myself, you know, lifting a house, something like that where, you know, and, 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 and doing it easy as well. And then you go, oh, you know, I just lifted a house in my head. I'm going to be able to go and smash out 300 pounds or whatever really easy. Um, so I think visualization is definitely something very useful. Uh, you know, there's, there's some really interesting studies about the effectiveness of visualization and, and how people are able to gain strength through pure visualization stuff compared to compared to control groups. So, you know, the power of the mind is certainly, um, you know, even even in today's world where we're starting to understand 
the power of the mind, it's still underrated, it's still um, underexplored and underutilized. So visualization is a very powerful tool. Um, if anyone, you know, is, is serious about their training and doesn't use visualization as a tool in some way or another, then they're kind of missing out, I feel. 100%. Along the same lines, um, when you were about to uh, do your Denny Stones or when you got your injury and you told yourself, you know, I'll never do the Denny Stones to the point where you're like, okay, I might be able to do the Denny Stones to, okay, for sure, I'm going to do the Denny Stones. What was the factor that changed? Was it uh, in your mind or was it maybe a physical lift that you did and said, okay, my back might be healthy enough to do so? Yeah, you know, for for um, the back injury, it was certainly the latter there. You know, it was the for the back injury. I, well, kind of the answer to that question is two things. And actually both of the things that you said are correct. When it came to grappling, there was no doubt in my mind. The, 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 there was no choice. There was no option to not grapple anymore, to not compete, to not train. That was not um, that was not on the cards. So even when the first doctor that I spoke to said that I should stop grappling, I'm like, very simply, this is this is this is not a, a, something that I'll even entertain. There was never a doubt in my mind that I'd have to stop grappling, um, and and I just continued to do so. And I, some points it was bad, some points it was good. Sometimes I had to take a rest, sometimes I had to sit out. But I, but there was no other option. It was very very simple. Doing something like the Dinny Stones, it was not a big part of my life in the same way that um, grappling was. Even now where I'm like really into, you know, I say really into stone lifting, it's a hobby that I really enjoy. And I really want to, in the future, go out and lift many more stones. If you told me that I could never, ever lift another historic stone, I'd be bummed out. And that's about it. If you told me I could never grapple again, then I'd probably ignore you, you know, like it's, it's a very, very different thing. So to answer your question, both of those things happened. When it came to grappling, it was, doesn't even matter. I'm going to get back to competition. I'm going to keep on doing this. When it came to lifting stuff like stones and doing the Dinny stones, it was something because even then it was not even something that I'd ever even thought about doing beforehand. So with that it was like oh i'll never be able to do that and it's not a big deal it just kind of sucks and then what it was was it was kind of by chance which was one of the grip guys that you may know if you're if you're big in the grip david horn who lives in the uk he's the main grip guy in the uk one of the main grip I've guys in the world. a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. david <laughs> horn is the man and um you yeah, know i've been lucky I'm, enough to uh everybody's heard himself. of david horn <laughs> yeah everybody's heard everybody of david. in grip <laughs> I had to check, but everyone's heard of David Horn. If you, you you produce grip implements, of course you've heard of David Horn. Uh, but I was lucky enough to, uh, to 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 sort of befriend David. I, I you know been following him for a very long time and buying his stuff. But his um, daughter got into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I went and visited him, and we got chatting, and, and we became very friendly. Um, and I used to buy pretty much everything that David would make, and obviously almost always. All of it, maybe all of it, was pure grip things, and then he released the Dinny Stone Trainer, and because it was something that David Horn made, I messaged him. I go, David, put me down for one. I'll take one. But at the same time, I was like, that's kind of a bit grip, but a bit full body as well. It's not like a a, a, a pinch block or a hub or a blob or something like that, which is pure grip. This is this is a little bit of both. So, but because David made it, I had to buy it. I had to have one. 
So I bought it and I started training with it. And I started training with it with sort of, uh, instead of it having the handle attached to the pin, I had a carabiner and a loop. So it was about three inches higher than it should be, than the actual height of the dinny stones, because it meant that I wouldn't have the bend down as much to lift it. And I just started th throwing some weight on, started really light. And I thought, this isn't hurting me. And it must be working my back because it's a, you know, it, it's a, it's a rack pull kind of, but it's a sort of deadlift. And if it's not hurting me, it's making my back stronger without hurting me. And that is really good news. So then I kind of got on that train and I started continuing to practice this, adding more weight until the point that I got to over 300 kilos. I got to, to, to Diddy Stone weight, which is like 700 and something, 780 pounds, something like that maybe 720 pounds, 30 pounds. And I got to that so weight from this raised, yeah, something like that. I know lost like four pounds in the last 10 years or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I figured about um, 300 years, I'll be able to pick them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I, I got to the full weight from the high and I thought, wow. It, it was sort of at that point, I was sort of thinking, thinking, and then I got it and it really hit me, which is, it's only two or three inches shorter. Maybe I can actually do this thing. So that was a big turning point for me. It was, it was definitely steady over time. That first time that I used it and went, doesn't hurt me at all, I'll put a bit more weight on. It still doesn't hurt me, I'll put a bit more weight on. So you're gradually starting to believe that it's possible. And then when I did the full weight, even from the raised height, I thought, wow, you know, maybe I can actually do this. And then I dropped the height down to the proper dinny height and started training from there and then um you know slowly you start to build confidence and i think by the time i did the full weight from the higher um you know with a two or three inches extra once i hit that full weight i thought i can actually do this i can lift the dinny stones awesome yeah, that's incredible man that's a huge achievement dinny stones that'd be fun yeah yeah definitely um it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun but that i was super nervous about you know i said like earlier um about um about you don't have to worry about them fighting back at that point i wish that they would fight back because i you know the difference is if i had done you know if you've done one competition and one you know one jiu-jitsu tournament and one stone lifting event you know then then the stone lifting event's always going to be less nervous but because i'd done hundreds and hundreds of jiu-jitsu matches and i'd never lifted a stone in front of people before it was very, very different. So uh, even though it was much easier because, like I said before, you don't have to worry about the stone fighting back too much. Um, it, I was really a lot more nervous. And again, like like the thing I mentioned to you about, uh, even though it, it it wasn't super far away, we did take a plane up there. You know, you do feel whenever you jump on a plane, you feel like you're in a different place. Um, it was definitely a pilgrimage. It was, uh, you know, there was a mission. There was a real purpose to the trip. You know, I, I went and did um, I went and did stone lifting um, more recently. Well, not I say recently. It was it was over a year ago now before this whole madness started. But I went and did a stone lifting tour. But I was teaching jujitsu along the way, and I was in Scotland. I was teaching seminars, and I was lifting stones at the same time. So even when you do that, it's a little bit different because you're not there to lift a stone. You're there to do different things. But when I did the dinny stones. I went there with one purpose in mind to go and lift these two massive blocks of granite 
and so when you're stepping up and when you're warming up ready to go yeah i got super nervous it was a uh, it was an interesting feeling very strange yeah i'd imagine it would be man there's so much history behind it you know it's just i don't know there's probably an aura there that you just latch onto those rocks and yeah you've got to do it <laughs> it's a big deal at that moment yeah all, all of the um you know all of the uh, historic stones definitely have that aura yeah. you know some of the some of the historic stones kind of have more of it even more history uh even more myth around them and, and sort of i definitely like the stones uh you know the dinny stones are technically not manhood stones because obviously they're lifted with the rings they're lifted in a different style but they are much more popular and there was a crowd there and then it was you know it's a proper thing cameras and and all of that it's very different um you definitely feel the pressure from the crowd um but when you're doing the other historic stones it's just you in a field in the wilderness with the stone and no one's there and it's just yeah. you uh or maybe you're there with one person or you you know one or two buddies um it's 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 a you get that real you know the feeling of the spirit of the stone is definitely something that i felt and the aura of the stone absolutely you know the 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 feeling you get when you're searching for these things and then you you see it out in the distance you see this different stone from all the other ones and you go that's the one i've seen that's the one i've seen pictures of yeah. it's 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 uh it's definitely an interesting um adventure yeah it wasn't it wasn't quite as like historical but we we did the same thing for the timberline stuff so we had pictures of it we have a gps location and we're up there looking around right, for it just three people you know you yeah it's awesome man. There. It yeah so cool. you know search, searching for stuff and that's it you know if you if you had taken something like uh i don't know the um fiana stone or, or you know the, the putrek stone or one of these other stones that are out in the wilderness somewhere and brought it to my gym it wouldn't be the same no, you know no. you're still lifting the same stone but it's not the same it's the travel it's the journey it's the search it's everything surrounding it that really makes the adventure what it is absolutely so um you said you want to grapple for the rest of your life and uh, grip is another thing that I've seen people do in their 70s. We see uh, Ode Haugen still gripping. Uh, Mark Felix will probably be running the gamut for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. So um, let's fast forward 30 years. What's your training look like? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to grapple for, uh, for as long as I can. Uh, but doing grip is definitely something that you can do a lot more um, into your later ages. You know, guys like Odd is... You know just what an inspiration that guy is uh but also probably one of a kind to be honest with you i'm not sure <laughs> i think i'd settle for half the man that odd is by the time i'm his age yeah. uh you know 30 years time you know i'd like to still be on the mat to that point maybe uh you know coaching and stuff maybe from more of a um uh sort of the, the sensei the, the stereotypical sensei role maybe on a, a small chair in the corner with a walking stick <laughs> you know hitting, hitting the young students on the back for not doing the techniques right something like that but i definitely love to still be um, to to be to be doing some sort of strength training you know i think strength training is something that um when you stop making yourself strong you become weak and when you become weak you die basically you know i really do believe that that continuing to strength train into old age is one of the most important factors for uh reducing the amount that you age and, and reducing the um 
some some of the nastier effects on your body of aging and of course once you get past a certain age you know in your 40s and 50s testosterone and muscle mass just drop exponentially um and you've got to do something to stop that from happening so i'd like to continue to be if i'm not competing in something i'd like to still be lifting things and you do see some guys lifting some some of these historic stones or doing stuff like arm wrestling or doing grip sports like odd into their 70s and 80s so if i make it that far then uh touch wood that's something that i'll still be able to do i'd love to still have my hand no pun intended in the game in some respects yeah in many years time along those lines what training methods or techniques have you or sorry what are some uh, lifestyle habits you subscribe to that can help the average person uh stay healthy and fit you know it's a really boring one um, I did a podcast the other day and I kind of, they asked for something and I gave them this really boring answer still, but sleep is <laughs> very important. Uh, you know, it's something that even though I knew was very important, I always, I guess the, the biggest difference for me is uh, the, I, I always try to get eight hours, but I would go to bed very late. And what I found in the last year, um, sort of one of the very few benefits of the pandemic for me was because I wasn't training and teaching till very late, I was able to go to bed much earlier. And going to bed earlier, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time every day and going to bed earlier and sort of being a little bit more in tune with the natural circadian rhythm has definitely felt like my sleep is a lot better and that I'm in a lot better condition because of that. Instead of going to bed at really crazy hours in the morning, going to bed before midnight, they say what? An hour before midnight is worth two hours after midnight, and I kind of prescribe to that theory. Um, but yeah, so sleep is a really important one. Apart from that, you know, staying active, you know, getting moving. I think that's a big problem that a lot of people have. At the same time, you know, you guys are couch potato strong. I feel like I can't preach at you to get moving too much if the uh the goal is to be couch potato strong that's right maybe, maybe couch potato strong is the perfect example of training but also you can chill out a little bit as well and finding that balance uh but yeah you know sleep is an important one staying mobile staying moving um those are the basic habits really nothing super exciting i was just reading today actually playing in bed uh an article that was published not too long ago that people that normally get under six hours of sleep are more likely like extremely more likely to get dementia yeah you know there's a lot of interesting stuff with sleep um you know you've got like matthew walker's book why we sleep that was a really big hit um and then you have people coming out and sort of debunking a lot of the stuff that he was saying and saying that actually they've done studies and the people who sleep seven hours are actually better than the people who sleep nine hours stuff like this uh but i think there's a lot uh, there's a lot of confusion with that and one of the things that i really realized is you don't sleep as long as you think you sleep yeah because uh i've been tracking my sleep for the last two or three years maybe two and a half years with a uh, aura ring it's one of the most accurate sleep trackers fitness trackers i only use it when i sleep yeah. though and the amount of hours that i get so a lot of people let's say you go to bed at midnight you wake up at eight in the morning you go i, I slept eight hours yeah. well if i go to bed at midnight and i wake up at eight in the morning i would actually have slept about six and a half hours yeah. Yeah. 
So I find it as a useful tool for telling me how much I actually sleep. So if you, I believe you see these studies of people saying um, six, seven hours of sleep is good, is fine. Actually, those seven hours of sleep are equating to nine hours in bed. Yep, you got to get eight and a half hours in bed to get a solid seven hours. Exactly. So people here, they go seven hours of sleep is fine. And they sleep from one in the morning till eight o'clock. But that's only given them five and a half hours. You know what I mean? So I think uh, the sleep is something that I'm definitely keeping an eye on the literature and the research and stuff like that. But that is my, that's not backed up by anything. That's just my theory. I think that, um, what people don't realize is that they're not asleep for as much as they think they're asleep every night. For me, definitely my, my uh, sleep score when I, on my aura ring, the restlessness is always very high. So I know if I want seven hours, seven hours for me, my readiness score, my heart rate variability, my, my body temper, all of these things are seven hours is absolutely fine, but that's eight and a half hours at least that I need to be asleep, thinking that I'm asleep to actually get a full seven hours. Exactly. It depends, you know, how your body is able to stay in that REM cycle for so long. And a lot of people can't even get there and they're struggling to even stay in there for, you know, an hour or so at a time. Yeah. You know, you're, you, and that, it's another good point. Um, so my brother also has a, um, or my brother-in-law, I should say, uh, my sister's fiance also has a, a guy that I train with, uh, also has an aura ring and we compare our sleep scores and it's really interesting because I always get REM, super high REM, you know, two hours, two and a half hours every night. And I struggle to get deep sleep sometimes. So obviously REM is sort of your mental restorative sleep and your deep sleep is your physical recovery sleep. Yeah. So I get really high REM every night, never an issue. And I usually get okay deep sleep, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours, maybe less. Sometimes I'll get good REM and awful deep sleep, half an hour, 45 minutes of deep sleep. Him, on the other hand, always gets awful REM sleep, always gets massive deep sleep. So even just the variation between two individuals, just because you sleep for eight hours a night, doesn't mean you're getting REM, doesn't mean you're getting deep. You could be getting loads of deep and no REM. You could be getting loads of REM and no deep like myself. So really a lot of variables go into that. I think it's really interesting. Have you experimented with that during meditation? And have you experimented with uh, like wearable ECGs to see if you're getting into delta or theta states uh, at specific moments of rest or meditation? Is that something that uh, you've gone into looking at with yourself? Yeah, meditation is something that I've only really started to do properly recently. Okay. Um, you know, I always, you know, meditation is such a, interesting topic it's one of those things you don't really understand till you understand and i don't quite understand yet but i'm starting to a lot more than i was um, and the big revelation in terms of meditation to me came when I, I stopped doing guided meditation i think the guided meditation can absolutely be effective for some people but i wasn't for me meditation is about really going inwards yeah. and being aware of, of 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 what is going on in your own head for me meditation is you know trying to clear all the thoughts out of your head and, and and being aware of the stuff that comes in and being able to let that go and i think personally for me anyway i won't talk on behalf of anyone else but guided meditation is a is an easy too easy way to do it because you just listen to someone talk and you follow what they're doing and it's easy to do 
it's very hard when there's no one there to hold your hand there's no one there to help you um so that is something that i've definitely been doing a lot more recently um i haven't found that it makes any difference or much difference on my sleep at the moment i'm kind of experimenting with different things and trying to work out what makes a difference in my sleep to be honest most of the time if i get an early night um it's it makes the biggest difference the one difference i was really really struggling with sleep for many many months i was waking up multiple times every night almost on cue i'd go to bed at 10 or you know 11 o'clock i'd wake up at three i'd wake or i wake up at three at five at seven you know just every single night and what i started to realize is last year i blacked out my room pitch black you know so i put blackout on the windows i put tape over all of the leds in my room pitch black you can't tell what time it is in the day in my bedroom if you close the door and what was happening was i think because i didn't know what time it was ever my body would wake up a little bit and go what time is it is it midday is it two in the morning is it seven in the you know and it would confuse it and it would force me to wake up and check the time and all i got was a um i solved that by getting a wake up light you know one of these lights that come on very slowly and i set that to eight in the morning and now my sleep is way better within a, about a week my body adjusted to it because it knows if i wake up and the light's not on it's too early to wake up and if the light is on you can wake up if you want it's at eight o'clock you don't have to and just by doing that i stopped waking up in the middle of the night so that is the one thing that i found experimented with to find that it um really helped my sleep and stopped me waking up in the middle of the night what temperature are you sleeping at uh i it's definitely cool um it's kind of very very rare to have air conditioning in the uk but i get overheated very very easily um so i kind of needed the air conditioning unit i know you want to be sleeping in a cool temperature anyway so i sleep with air conditioning on um 365 days a year even in the winter yeah. you tell some people in the uk that i sleep with an air conditioning on in the winter they think i'm completely crazy no, uh, yeah i definitely like it really i know that the research has come out and it said you want to be uh like 18 19 degrees c i don't know the translation for fahrenheit for you guys yeah something like that you can literally say 200 and i believe you um i have no idea with that but yeah i keep i keep it very cool in my room for sure yeah for sure i've been experimenting with uh ecgs and trying to find what uh states brain states i can get into during meditation and during sleep and i've been having trouble yeah. getting into a theta state but i've been able to do delta states pretty pretty easily and i've been able to get to low delta states in a quiet environment so i'm just trying to get into what they call theta healing, where your mind actually begins to start to over-process and heal itself, sort of when you're in, like when you're in REM sleep, but in a waking state. Well, um, do, what, 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 um, cause I've looked into some of that stuff. What uh, device do you use out of interest? Uh, the Muse device is a good one. I was looking into that. Is it good? It's pretty decent, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, had, I've had pretty good success with it. We've used it in studies before as well. So yeah, it's decent. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, take note of that for sure. So what unusual training methods have you stumbled upon that have significantly increased your performance compared to like a regular conventional method? Yeah, you know. Oh, I was going to ask him about Wim Hof stuff. Good. 
Let's freeze ourselves. I do that every night, and my wife's when she goes to bed, let me tell you. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the Arctic Circle already. <laughs> uh, in terms of unorthodox training and stuff, you know, it's a really relative term, isn't it? It depends who you ask. Um, you know, a lot of people will always refer to almost everything that I do training wise as unorthodox or unconventional. But if I was to go into a gym and see someone doing uh, pec flies machine, that's going to be unconventional to me, you know, which that would be very normal training for a lot of other people. So I think it's a really relative term. And all the stuff that I do is stuff that the average gym goer may not do but then at the same time a lot of the stuff that i do is stuff that was a staple of the training regimes of people a hundred years ago so you know which is the traditional which is the unorthodox and it everything kind of goes around in, in circles you know something that is uh unorthodox like kettlebells very early it was the crazy russian kettlebells and now you'll find them in every single gym that you go to in the world. They're like the most standard training thing that you see in every little fitness magazine doing kettlebell swings wrong. So it all, you know, it's very fluid and changing um, what is considered orthodox and unorthodox. You know, for stuff for me at the moment, you know, something that I've been doing really heavily over the last couple of years has been training with sandbags. Um, that I've really definitely had a lot of benefit from and heavy sandbag training um what else and grip training a lot of the grip training stuff that i do a lot of people will consider unconventional doing pull-ups with uh some golden potatoes i'm sure people would uh consider very unconventional but um they look so awesome uh i've got to give those things a try uh but yeah you know so unconventional training your training your grip training with awkward objects these are the main things that i believe to be um to, to be important for especially for if we go way back stone training would be conventional because that's what they used to do 100 so, you, you know, know so th 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 that's it you know you you go to a gym now and um you know I, I very i don't train in commercial gyms i've been very lucky I've, i am very lucky where i built a home gym which is where i do all of my training but when i'm traveling around or when i was traveling around doing seminars and stuff like that i was having to go to commercial gyms to do my weight training because I had no choice. I was away from home for many months. Um, and I was trying to train for stones at the time. And I would do things to try and replicate lifting stones, like stacks of weights and lifting stacks of weights off the ground. And people go, you know, what the hell are you doing? And I go, I'm training for stone train. I'm training to lift stones. And they go, what on earth are you talking about? That's crazy. And of course you're right. Crazy, but you know our ancestors were doing this this is the earliest form of strength training all of the weights and machines and all of the concepts that you're using right now to improve your body were all were birthed by really lifting stones lifting yeah. logs stuff like that and all those things are also very very recent you know um all the barbells all the equipment we have now i mean who's to say 150 years now you know from now they say well that stuff was stupid it was throwing our body out of alignment you know who's to say we have no idea I mean, you know, it's, it's a really bench position is pretty weird. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, discussion and a really interesting thought to have, which is in 200 years, what is the scape of sort of the landscape of 
physical culture and physical training going to look like what's fitness going to look like in 200 years is it going to be all stuff you know crazy high-tech machines that we couldn't even think of right now i'm hoping it evolves more toward functional training training that actually, you know yeah affects our lifestyles yeah. that we live you know let's uh, uh you know like i said let's hope that it is cyclic and it comes back around to stones right. and uh stones and trees so you'll like uh, you'll like the golden potatoes then they're like a natural stone in your hand a lot of people say so man i i saw the um i saw the golden potatoes a couple of days ago just before like two days before you messaged me and um because when cody who put us in contact uh he messaged me and he said you've got to try this golden potato thing and i was like i was looking at it the day beforehand because someone sent like the blurb of how the gold the story of the golden potato which i just thought was so funny and it's so outside the box so weird so awesome and uh yeah they look they look brilliant i can't wait to try them well thanks yeah we were just trying to make something really fun for everybody to, to do during this crazy time so yeah that's what we were hoping it kind of it's kind of a rock so it kind of combines rock climbing plus strongman plus grip and natural stone lifting it's kind of a little you know it bridges the gap of a lot of things so it's pretty neat well what, what's the material of them it grows out of the ground yeah it's, it's a mystical material <laughs> that way okay i'll have to see for myself yeah, um, this mystical material but um because I, I i i thought about um i wanted to have something made which was a, a like a natural stone that i could do pull-ups off of to train mm -hmm. sort of the stone you, you know the feeling of lifting stones but yeah. with the grip as well um and i haven't quite worked out how to do it yet but i think yeah, if i find it'll be right up your alley then yeah that's pretty much what yeah. it is yeah climbers love it they say that's what it feels like you'll like it yeah. amazing amazing so tell me a little bit about um your adventure with wim hof training do you still do that and what did you learn from that and spirit training in general what do you do for spirit training so in terms of the wim hof stuff the the Wim Hof that I've done was just a real quick session. I was on a, um, I was on a teaching at a jujitsu camp in Mallorca um, a couple of years ago, 2019 in October. And they had a guy there who was a Wim Hof certified guy. Um, and I did a little bit of the Wim Hof stuff, you know, in, over the last six months, I've maybe even less than that, which is, I never did a huge amount of the Wim Hof stuff afterwards. I've definitely been focusing a lot more on my breathing in the last couple of months. Um, and that was after reading a book called um, The Oxygen Advantage. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Yep. It's by an Irish guy. Um, and doing that has changed my performance on the mats more than anything I've ever done, I'd say. Absolutely, 100%. You know, quite quite an incredible. You, do, and I'm uh, talking, you can research it. We do Tai Chi breathing. Yeah, and uh, it's very similar to a lot of the breathing you'll learn in those those uh, guides on on oxygen advantage and a couple other ones. Yeah, and uh, you know, even as some simple as something is like not breathing through your mouth, even when you're rolling. And at first, when I was first thinking that, I was thinking, "There's no way that I'm going to be able to do jujitsu." And just breathe through my nose you know yeah um and you know within a week i was able to do it and yeah. my cardio just went through the roof 
And now when I'm rolling with someone and they're breathing through their mouth and I'm breathing through my nose, I know that they're going to get exhausted before yeah. I am. And, you know, I've still got gas in the tank. My recovery is way faster. So uh, definitely realizing the power of nasal breathing has been something that I've uh, discovered very recently and definitely discovered a lot of respect for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's some, very similar to what they call reverse breathing in, in Tai Chi. It's, it's a very similar thing. That's, that's a key, key component. That's changed my ability to be able to do my martial arts tenfold, especially now that I'm older because I took a big break. I took about 10 years off when I was in college and then I got back into it. And of course, you know, you're wheezing and dying because I mean, you've been out of it for a while, but yeah, that got me back to good shape in, in maybe a year of practicing my breathing. Mm, yeah, I, definitely. Weird, I, think I might've thrown my breathing off being like stressed out in college for so long. You don't realize like how off you can throw your breathing just from the stresses of day-to-day -day life. Yeah, absolutely. And just bringing that awareness to it that, even if you do throw it off, you can bring it back to that and center yourself again. It's uh, definitely an important tool to have. For sure. Absolutely. So if you could start your training all over again with the knowledge you have today, what would you do different and why? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because um, you, you don't know if the stuff that you've done in the past has laid a necessary foundation for the stuff that I do now. And, and that was, that's been a question that I'm still struggling with in some respects, you know, people, because I did go through a phase where I was really into barbell training. Uh, the one thing that I never did was, well, the one thing that I stopped doing after my back injury that I could never get back to and I still haven't tried to do is straight bar deadlifts. But there was a time, you know, when my back was really bad where I could squat, you know, I could squat heavy um, and I could bench press, but I couldn't do any, um, but I couldn't deadlift. So I just did a lot of that. So I got really into barbell training, overhead press um, and uh, bench press and squats, sort of like a powerlifting program without the deadlifts for a long time. Almost and then I got more into the sort of modern strongman stuff, yeah. log and stone, you know, Atlas stones and yoke and farmers and stuff like that. And then I got into more uh, ancient strongman stuff, maybe, which is, you know, lifting stones and sandbags and doing, uh, you know, golden age time strongman, performing strongman sort of exercise and stuff like that. And there was a time where people were asking about my unconventional training. And I would say that I believe that you need to build a foundation of strength before doing the unconventional stuff in that you should train with the barbell for a year or a few years in order to be strong enough to do the unconventional stuff. Nowadays, I don't know. I'm not so sure. I don't know if you do need to build a foundation in strength and maybe you can build that foundation using the unorthodox training methods and maybe you can build the foundation with sandbags you know, maybe you can do it a lot earlier than I thought before. So <clears throat> it's a tough one. I don't know. I think maybe I wouldn't have spent as much time doing the conventional stuff. And once I felt I had a solid base, maybe I'd go back and, you know, what I'd love to do is go back five times and go back one time and train just with barbell up until, you know, train with barbell for 10 years 
and then go back another time and just train with sandbag for 10 years and then go back in time and you know do it in lots of different ways to find out what is the best one but unfortunately we can't do that <laughs> so i don't know i'd have to pick one of the options. i'd have to pick one of the options and stick with that yeah we've gotten to talk to a bunch of different athletes and it's been fun to see like what they trained on and then how that you know correlates with doing a bunch of different stuff because we have a bunch of different fun equipment so we have them try out all different things and yeah i think the um the unconventional what we call unconventional the sandbag training the rock lifting you know it builds a, a foundation of strength we're talking about the foundation of strength that has a lot more functionality and a lot more stabilization maybe than some of the barbell type listed yeah, you know, I think so. And that's why I train them now. You know, I, I definitely, I do recommend people to train with sandbags from the go. Whereas maybe three years ago, four years ago, maybe I would have told them to start with a barbell. I don't think it's ne necessarily necessary now. Um, so yeah, you know, my, my opinion has changed in that. And I do think people sort of, they place their implements on these pedestals. Like they're the, they're the only thing that matters and nothing is that ultimate that it supersedes anything else. Whether that's kettlebells, whether that's barbell, whether it's sandbags, whether it's a Bulgarian bag, you know, all of these different things, you'll find some, whether it's maces or clubs, all of these different things have the zealots who believe that this is the only way to train. This is the best way to train. Some people will train powerlifting. They will train squat, bench, deadlift, accessories. And if you train anything else, you are an idiot. There'll be some people who will only train with kettlebells. And if you train with anything else, you're an idiot. I don't believe in any of those. I don't believe because what I train with now is sandbags and grip stuff that that is the best way to train. It's just the way that I like to train. These, all of these things are tools. I have kettlebells. I have Bulgarian bags. I have dumbbells. I have barbells. I have sandbags. I have stones. They're all just tools and it's all about how you implement them. And the more you do, the more well-rounded human being you're going to be. That's a great segue into the next question so i think it might be the the kettlebell if i were to choose one but i have to ask you what is the most important piece of equipment in your home gym it's oh, the floor, padded floor i think the padded floor is pretty darn important have you seen my home gym no nah. have you seen it i have not no. oh yeah sorry it cut out for a second there uh there's a lot of stuff in there now uh so it's pretty hard to pick i have to send you a picture of it um if i had to pick one thing it'd be a pull-up bar okay it'd probably be a pull-up bar you know because uh, you know or but any of these things you know you could get by with one kettlebell you could get by with one sandbag you could get by with one bulgarian bag you could get by with one barbell you know all of these things would be sufficient in their own way um but having lots of having their variety is um it trumps all of these things for sure absolutely yeah i've seen you do some monster pull-ups man i've seen you do pull-ups with the uh 
the horn, Iron Mind horn. That's crazy. Awesome. Stuff. Yeah, that yeah, that was that was tough, man. The the first uh, it's not the Iron Mind one, it's the um it's the I can't remember the name, the Russian company, Mr. Stronghands. Uh but those things are slick. I remember the first uh I got them and I couldn't believe how thick and heavy they were. They were solid metal. And I like struggled to do one or two. And that's why I said in that video, I was like, these are the hardest pull-ups I've done because nothing else I've only been able to do put two pull-ups on. Um, and I chalked up my hands and managed to bash out like 10 pull-ups. But um, yeah, the, 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 the anvil trainers are definitely super tough. Uh, any rotating bars are super tough. Um, I've been doing these ones recently. Uh, I got challenged by Jed Johnson to do this one with a ring balancing on the end of a um, of a bar. That was super oh, yeah, I've seen tough. Several people there. doing that one lately. Yeah, man, that was tough. Um, but yeah, I think pull ups. You know, nicknames the Raspberry Ape. You've got to be able to do some. If, if your nickname's the Ape, you've got to be able to do pull ups. Um, and uh, yeah, I've definitely got a lot of tools to do them on. And, and you're uh, definitely going for the golden potato pull up record. I want to go for uh, what is the golden potato pull-up record? There's two records. Um, there's reps, which is 16 reps, and it's by a climber, uh, Kapu Geisen, who's also a Ninja Warrior contestant. So he's pretty stout dude, um, okay. and he's like 160 pounds. And the first time he came over and did grip stuff, he hugged a 45, you know, left and right like it was wow. because you know he's a climber, and that's what they do. And he's a speed yeah. climber. Too, and then so. the other record is weighted pull-up. And that's yeah. held by Jason Dingy, and he got a 334-pound pull-up. Wow, 330. So that's 150 kilos, something like that? Yeah, Yeah. so your weight plus whatever to get to uh, 150. What, what does he weigh? That's what he weighs. That's what he weighs. He just weighs that weight? Yeah, yeah. he's that heavy. God damn. Monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So his weighted pull-up is with nothing on his body, just wearing his clothes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it'll be any of those. It depends how hard it is the grip. We'll have to find out. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely looking forward to trying. Yeah, I think you're gonna get, get a kick out of them. Uh, your comment that they were uh, equally genius and equally hilarious is pretty much what we were going for. Yeah, spot on, man. It was, uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. Or uh, what you guys call cheeky? Like we think of them as cheeky potatoes. Yep, yep. I see that they're cheeky, pretty cheeky. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So what advice do you have for the average person trying to get fit and healthy? Um, I think the best, uh, one of the best quotes when it comes to that is, what is it? People overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a year or overestimate what they can do in two weeks and whatever it is. You know, fitness and health and strength is all about playing the long game. Don't be discouraged from not seeing benefits straight away. Um, it's all about consistency and perseverance. Those are the two most important traits to have. Um, and yeah, don't don't look at what you're going to be like in eight weeks. Look like what you're going to be in a year or two years time. And if you train consistently for a year or two years, especially if you don't have much history training, you will be a completely different human being. Awesome. So do you have any questions for us, Couch Potato Strong? Um, how did you come up with the golden potato? Did they just grow out of the ground and you had to do something with it? Yeah, they just grew out of the ground as soon as we started training our grip stuff around here. I guess uh, it's when you have a huge desire to, to grip, they start growing. And there's a <laughs> people nearby that have a huge desire to so grip. So what, 
what I should do is plant one of them, right? Yeah, well, you have to plant the little guys. If you look on our channel, we have a harvest video where we had to plant the little guys. <laughs> and we harvested some big ones. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I need to check it out, man. And, it's and why uh, Couch Potato Strong? Where's that come from? Uh, well, you know, we, we like the brand kind of fit, kind of fat. Okay, yeah, yeah. And we wanted to do like an American version. And Couch Potato is a real big slang term here in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we thought Couch Potato Strong. Yeah. Love it. And I guess the most important question is, what are you going to dig out of the ground next? What's going to grow around the couch potato compound next? Oh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll have to sure. wait and see if anything else pops up during one of our harvests. <laughs> we don't know if it's going to be a multi-layer tool like an onion or something. We have no yeah. idea. <laughs> How long have you guys been, uh, been doing this? The uh, couch potato strong and the golden potato? Uh, see, we started Couch Potato Strong on May 24th, um, so almost a year, and we gave away our first wow. on June 24th. Yeah? Yeah, and we've given away 63, or 63 sets of one out. You'll be uh, the 64th. Well, you might not be the 64th set, because we only have one set available right now. Your set won't even be going out for a couple of weeks, because we have to wait for the next harvest. Yeah, no worries, no worries. The harvest coming up in May. That's awesome, man. I love it, love it. Yeah, so we're we're still new, less than a year. So we're excited to see where it goes. But you know, Absolutely. We're very surprised at you know how fast it's grew, how we've reached, you know, across the pond and into Australia and other places already. It's just mind blowing to see. Well, you know what, you get something um you get something original and creative. That's what happens. People love that stuff. Yeah, it's primarily a networking experiment. Um, we don't really make much money off the potatoes, honestly, because we give away yeah. free ones all over the world and whatever. But it got us talking to some of the top people in grip, some of the top people in athletics. And I mean, in October, we're going down to train with Adam Glass, Tanner Merkel, and those guys. So awesome, consider, you know, what it's done for us networking-wise. It's been a huge success. Yeah, no, amazing work. I, I look forward to uh, continuing to follow your journey. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on with us today. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. All righty. Well, take care. You enjoy the rest yeah. of your night. Have Thank you very much. Have a good day, guys. Take it Thank easy. You. See ya.